Hello, residents. My name is Zach Olson. I'm joined today by the famous Mike Estefan, and thank you for downloading this month's episode of the EM Clerkship Podcast. This episode is sponsored by Pearson Ravitz Insurance. This is my personal insurance agent, so obviously I recommend them. We will talk more about Pearson Ravitz later in this episode. Let's get into it. Today is round number 14 of the game. Mike will need to perform today's case in real ABEMS oral boards format. He has 15 minutes to complete the full case. He does not know what the case is ahead of time. If Mike hits all of the critical actions that I've listed out beforehand, he wins. And if he doesn't, or if he performs a dangerous action, I win. These cases were created by me. They are not derived from actual ABM cases that I had, and they are certainly not real patients. Mike, take out a piece of paper and a pencil. Place the paper sideways in front of you. Outline a human body on the left side of it, and let me know when you're ready. I'm ready. Let's go, Zach. All right, Dr. Estefan, this will be a single patient encounter. You will have 15 minutes to complete the case. Before we begin, do you have any questions? No, no questions. Go easy on me. Uh, I don't know. I never take it easy on you because you have to have opportunities for growth. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky for you. <laughs> Last week was a doozy. <laughs> Last month? Yeah, no, I got you. Yeah. I got you. You'll, you're going to do great. Stay focused, though. Stay focused. Okay, here we go. The timer has started. Mike, you are working at Clerkship General Hospital. When the next patient gets assigned, chief complaint, shortness of breath. Shortness of breath. Great. Um, can I get some information about this patient? How old? What gender? Sure. Um, he is a 29-year-old male, and his name is Mike Michelson. Oh, Mike Michelson. All right. I walk into the room. What do I see? Um, you see a young man, he is in respiratory distress. He's a little bit diaphoretic. Okay. Um, can we get the patient on a monitor, um, with a pulse, a continuous pulse ox and, um, can I get an opening set of vitals? Sure. His heart rate is 99. His respiratory rate is 34. His blood pressure is 105 over 69. His O2 saturation is 95%. Okay. Can I get a temperature? Um, his temperature is 98.6. Okay. Um, let's start getting two large bore IVs in this guy. Um, Michael Michelson. Uh, my name is Mike. I'm one of the ED resident doctors here. What is bringing you to the emergency room today? <sighs> I can't breathe. <sighs> okay. When did this start? Dude... Days. Okay. Um, do you have any medical problems? Asthma. That's my asthma voice. That's pretty good. That's pretty <laughs> Thank good. Thank you. <laughs> uh, what, what allergies to medications do you have? My inhalers. Albuterol. Steroids. Inhaled steroids. What, what allergies do you have? Seasonal allergies. <sighs> okay. No allergies to Help. medications? No. Okay. And you take albuterol inhaler and your steroid inhaler? The patient shakes his head yes. Okay. Um, all right. Well, let's... Okay. Well, he's obviously in respiratory distress. Okay. Um, can I quickly examine this guy? Um, sure. Auscultate his lungs. What do I hear? Um, you hear just wheezing. It, they're... It's almost like quiet. You just hear this like faint wheezing all over. 
Not a lot wheezing. of air movement. So he's not yeah, moving much air. Lovely. No. Okay. Um, cardiac sounds? Uh, regular rate and rhythm. He has no murmurs. He has no gallops, no rubs, no JVD. All right, All right. pulses? Uh, he has normal radial pulses on each side. He has normal pedal pulses. Uh, any signs of trauma or anything like that? No. Okay, cool. Um, let's this, let's get this guy on a continuous duoneb without butyrol and ipratropium. Um, we can immediately start some um, magnesium infusion for him, and let's give him some uh, some solumedrol. I think we give 125 milligrams, but I would like to confirm with pharmacy. Yeah, so uh, pharmacy wants some clarifications on these doses. So how much um, albuterol and ipratropium do you want? Um, honestly, whatever the continuous dose is, um, I, I don't know it off the top of my head. <laughs> okay. Um, you can give 15 migs per hour continuous on the albuterol. Um, hypertropium is, it's like 500 mics. It's like 0. 0.5. Um, you can do that every 20 minutes, I think, mm-hmm. off the top of my head, um, times three. Um, what do you want for your dose of magnesium? What do you uh, mean magnesium? Can... How much magnesium? What kind of magnesium? Magnesium sulfate, two grams IV infusion. Okay. okay. Two grams of magnesium sulfate. What about the solumedrol? Um, so I think we give 125 for asthma exacerbation. I usually, does that sound right to you, pharmacist? Sounds fine. Okay, great. Um, and then let's, let's shoot off some basic labs, just a CBC, a BMP. Let's get a VBG on this guy. Um, and let's shoot a chest x-ray. Um, those have been sent they're working on that chest x-ray. Chest x-ray is being sent over to you. Oh, that looks beautiful. Um, so trachea is midline. I don't see any consolidations. I don't see any pleural effusions. I don't see any pneumothoraces. Looks great. Um, you got some labs back. Um, white blood cell count of uh, 10. The H&H are fine. Platelets of... What's normal platelets? Like 100, 200, let's say. Um, your electrolytes are fine. Your blood gas has a pH of 7.40. Um, CO2 of 42. O2 saturation of, or like the PaO2 of 90. Sound good? Uh, sounds fine. Okay, so... Yeah. That's it's not a great gas because what's that that's telling me is he's tiring out um, and he's starting to retain some CO two, um, so I mean is he doing any better with the initial resuscitation treatment? Um, he still is diaphoretic, um, looking at you like he can't breathe. All right, um, let's get this guy. Uh, let's call respiratory and get this guy on BiPAP. All right. Respiratory is at bedside. They want to know settings. 
Um, whew. Bipap setting. So this for asthma, I believe we are trying to have a large delta here between inspiratory and expiratory. Um, so I guess default is 10.5. So can we try uh, like an IPAP of 15 and an EPAP of 5? All right. 15 over 5. Sounds good. Respiratory has started that. Okay. Um, and let's get a new set of vitals on him. All right. Um, let's see here. Uh, vitals are... Me, let's see. Uh, still a febrile. Heart rate is uh, 105. Respiratory rate is still 32. Um, blood pressure is 103 over 70. O2 saturation, 95%. Um, and let's say we leave him on this BiPAP for, I don't know, some time. And, and he's still working hard to breathe on BiPAP. Yeah, he's he's hanging on there. It's he's like he only just needs he needs a few more things and he'll get all better. Right. He's just right on the edge of improving. <laughs> all right, all right. So we can do some systemic uh, beta agonism. So the next step would either be terbutaline or epi. Um, personally, I've never used either, but um, let's let's go with some epi. Can I call a pharmacy for epi dosing for asthma? Status asthmaticus. Uh, sure. Pharmacy at bedside. Uh, they're like, yeah, go ahead and give him 0.5 megs IM. 0.5 IM. Okay. All right. Let's let's do that, and then we'll reassess him after that. All right. You reassess him. He is no longer diaphoretic. He's shaking his head. Yeah, I think I'm getting a little bit better. He's not saying that, but he, he looks like he's maybe turning the corner. All right. Let's, uh, okay. He's probably stable enough to push through admission, um, but this guy had a pretty terrible gas for an asthmatic initially. And if he's requiring epi, I would feel more comfortable with this guy in the ICU. So let's make a call to either the poem fellow or the MICU. Bring, bring, bring. This is the ICU. Uh, hey, uh, my name is Mike. I'm one of the residents down in the ED. We have a guy here, a uh, 29-year-old, pretty healthy. Only history is asthma. Um, he came in in respiratory distress, couldn't speak more than two words at a time, um, very tachypnic, clearly an asthma exacerbation. He wasn't moving much air initially. Um, we initially started him on a continuous neb with um, steroids and... Um, magnesium which didn't really do much for him um his initial gas was 7.4 and 42 um he didn't look too great so we threw him on bipap with an initial setting of 15 over 5 and that still wasn't helping him turn the corner so we gave him some im epi um, which seemed to have done the trick um, we can draw another gas for you while he's on the way up but he's a pretty sick guy probably needs icu all right, sounds good. We will see him when he gets up here. Cool. And that's all I have for this guy, I think. <laughs> all right, then that ends your case. All right. All right, just like, let me stop my timer here. You had some time to spare. Ooh. Time to spare. Uh-oh. Either good or bad. I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> all right, let's see here. 
All right, so before we start talking about how Mike did, we're going to do um, talk about our sponsor for the month. So I want to spend some time talking about uh, Pearson Ravitz. Pearson Ravitz is my personal insurance agent, and I know that if you're anything like I was, you're not thinking about personal finance issues while in training. All your attention is on learning content, surviving. I get it, but you need to start thinking about this stuff, and one of the things that you need to start putting on your radar is getting your insurance game cleaned up. What you're going to need to build is kind of your portfolio of a few high-quality insurance policies that are going to protect you from some well-known financial catastrophes that can happen to residents and doctors and PAs and nurse practitioners. And two really important policies you're going to need to start researching are going to be disability insurance and especially if you have a family to provide for life insurance. And that's where Pearson Ravitz comes in. Stephanie Pearson of Pearson Ravitz is my personal independent disability and life insurance agent. So I speak from experience. She's awesome. I wouldn't be recommending somebody to you guys that I think was awesome. And Pearson Ravitz is a really good company. I work with them a lot. Let's focus on disability insurance this month. This is the insurance that you buy that pays you if you become disabled, if you're unable to work, but you're not dead, right? That would be life insurance, which sounds simple. But there's actually a lot that goes into this and a bunch of small details that you kind of need to start understanding when you it's not a straightforward insurance by any means. So, for example, what exactly is disabled? What if you can't practice emergency medicine that you trained for, right, but you can work the fryer at McDonald's? Is that disabled? Or what if you can't do emergency medicine, but you could open a, a pain clinic or something? Is that disabled? What's excluded? For example, are you disabled if you become severely depressed, which we know happens to emergency medicine doctors, right? Etc. Etc. You're going to have this whole list of questions in fine print that you need to sort through. And so specifically with disability insurance, you need an insurance agent that you know that you can trust. Like I trust Stephanie Pearson at Pearson Rabbits. Stephanie Pearson is an OBGYN that got disabled and then couldn't practice her specialty anymore. And so she knows the issues that can happen. She's going to help you sidestep some of the pitfalls. She's going to shop around the major companies for you. She's going to help you with the application process, which again, I speak from experience can be actually a very long process depending on your medical records and things like that. Go to pearsonravits.com right now, fill in some contact information, uh, and just set up a phone call to talk about this stuff. This call can be in a few weeks, no pressure, but your last year of school is about the right time to at least start researching this stuff, asking some questions, and getting your, your team set up with a good agent in your corner. And Stephanie is more than willing to teach you everything you need to know. Again, you just got to go to our website and reach out. Now back to our episode. Mike, how do you think you did? <laughs> Um, I, I think I did okay. Um, you know, I, uh, well, the, my question was more with the BiPAP management. Um, I have spent a lot of time reading on vent settings for asthmatics and how to kind of, you know, the whole concept of permissive hypercapnia and prolonged expiration times for these people who are intubated. But I really have not, number one, had a asthmatic sick enough to be placed on BiPAP in real life. And number two, I haven't really given the BiPAP aspect of it as much thought as the, you know, the tubed asthmatic. So not really sure how that went, but everything else I feel like went okay. Yeah, so I thought you actually did a really good job. Um, I feel like with these asthma cases, this is a case that I feel like could very well be on your actual 
oral boards day. It's about this level of difficulty, I feel like. It's kind of one of those things you're either going to know it or you don't know it. You get to the end of it. There's going to be a few things that you realize you didn't know as well as you probably should have. And then instead of waiting for 60 seconds to do an ad, you just wait for three months to realize you know, how you did. That's the, <laughs> the main the main difference here. But um, I think you did very good. I feel like with asthma cases, there's kind of these three difficulty levels. So maybe we'll do another one of these in the future. But you start off with your a little bit more more of what we did today, which is kind of your, your basic initial sick asthma, okay? And then the next level is when you have to intubate them and you start getting into vent settings and things like that. And then the final level is the sick asthma, then titrating the vent settings, then they make, then they make them crump on the vent. You know, and that's like the hard case. But we didn't get too far into that. I thought that's probably too much for a single case. I don't know. Again, this isn't based off of real cases. I would imagine that's a lot to do in 15 minutes, um, depending on how it's set up. But I thought you did a good job. Your BiPAP, you did fine on the BiPAP. Again, you're basically, it's not as much about the, um, the peep. You're basically matching their, their auto peep. And then the rest of it is to give them some inspiratory support. Just try to get them some rest is kind of the idea. Um, mm-hmm. but your BiPAP settings were fine. And the, there's a few things I wanted to do on this case. I wanted to start getting into examples of how you're going to need to give some doses of common medicines and you get more kind of bonus points if you know the doses versus if you have to ask a pharmacist on every one of them. And you did pretty good. You knew the dose on the magnesium. You knew the dose on the solumedrol. Um, I don't, I think that you would have been fine on the albuterol hypertropium. You don't need to know, you know, you said continuous type of a thing. Um, you knew some, you got close on the BiPAP settings. So I think you did pretty good at that, but I wanted to kind of show how when you're doing your oral boards, you can ask people for input, right? If you don't know the dose, say, Hey, the pharmacist. Oh, if, if you don't know the settings for the vent, you can ask the RT, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, the other thing that I wanted to emphasize on this case was the importance of reevaluating the patient. So it's really easy on a case like asthma where you're not sure this is a good case to kind of teach that because you want to keep asking, how does the patient look now? How does the patient look now? But you don't want to just do it on an obvious case like asthma. You actually need to do this on all of the different cases, um, especially anyone who's potentially sick. You know, if they're not sick, maybe a maybe a single reeval and you're about ready to wrap up. How are they looking after I got them some Zofran and fluids, right? But on a sick case, you want to be like, how do I look after this intervention? I started epi, recheck their blood pressure and really getting that kind of, that circular closed loop, getting the examiner to continuously be giving you repeat vitals and things like that. And you did a good job of that. Those are really the main things I wanted to to take away from this case. Um, real world, these sick asthmatics are some of the, I don't know, I find them, they're scary, man. These are these are scary cases, not because they're necessarily super difficult, but these people come in and they look like they are about to die and they're young. And it's just it's it's a scary situation when you see a diaphoretic 25 year old who's shaking their head. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, <laughs> you go, oh, God. And you don't want to intubate them. And you certainly there's times where you have to intubate them. That's part of the protocol, but you really don't have to. And my only real life pearl is when you got someone who's on the sick side of it. So they're like not able to talk. They're diaphoretic. They had breathe, you know, their rescue inhaler at home. EMS already hung the mag and they're still looking bad. It's really to think of everything 
other than intubation that you can do that's reasonable. Like we don't do a ton of heliox down in the department, things, you know, so maybe not heliox, but you want to be running like I want continuous nebs. I want ipratropium, hang more magnesium. I want solumedrol. Just give them the epi and maximize everything in like that first minute because it takes maybe 10 or so minutes for to see how what's going to happen. And you'd be surprised the number of people you're like, oh, my God, just get the intubation stuff ready. And you give them 10 minutes of BiPAP and all this other stuff. And they turn the corner and they look amazing. And it is the best. It's like the it's like the best feeling because you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> you almost died. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. Um, and you just have to. So the but if you delay that initial set too long and you wait until you're five or 10 minutes into the resuscitation before you're doing things. Sometimes that's too late and that's actually enough to get them kind of to, to wear out. And so, you know, I feel like with asthma, the game is to getting them not wearing out on you. Um, get as much support in on them as possible, as early as possible in the case. And then you'd be surprised. I've seen some, it's just like, it's the craziest thing. I, I don't know what to compare it to. It's just like you think that they're going to die and then you think it's going to be this terrible intubation and you're like 10 steps down in your head and they're like, oh, my God, I'm gonna, they're going to need ECMO, <laughs> right? <laughs> just like way off. And then you're looking at them. It's like watching grass grow. Like you're doing all these things. And they're just diaphragmatic. They're diaphragmatic. And you're like, I'm just going to go put in my note and come right back. <laughs> and then you come back mm. and they like look great. And they're like waving at you. And you're like, yes. <laughs> it's just like, the, you know, it's so good. And then you still – usually admit that obviously so yeah um so you said you haven't had too many sick sick asthmas yet that you've had to manage no um yeah i literally have not had to give epi or terbutaline or put anyone on bipap um for well, i've definitely never done i've never done the terbutaline um i've done epi a few times again it's, it's similar to there's all these different doses i think they did a case series once on iv epi i'm not like the expert on epi administration and status asthmaticus, but a lot of the references, it's basically just giving like anaphylaxis dose epi. You're hitting them kind of like you would with anaphylaxis. Like I'm not scared of epi because I give it all the time for anaphylaxis, like pretty aggressively. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, giving someone 0.5 of epi when I think that they're going to die. I'm like, yeah, it's probably a good thing. The other thing, um, we didn't mention this a lot of times a fluid bolus uh, asthma patients have like pretty significant like loss, like insensible fluid losses. And especially if you end up intubating them a lot of times with just the peep and their auto peep and all of that, um, the fluid bolus will help you intubate them without them um, crumping and getting uh, hypotensive and things like that. I was debating but on giving him a fluid bolus. Um, usually but... I think the right answer is to start them on a fluid bolus. Okay. Um, you know, it's different if they're acute pulmonary edema or something, right? But in, in true asthma, the fluid bolus is going to help them. Yeah, I I guess I was just second-guessing myself with these cases. You never know, man. <laughs> I was right. like... Well, <laughs> I'm like 99% sure this is like status asthmaticus, but what if this is like flash pulmonary edema and I'm giving this guy a bolus? <laughs> yeah, and I, and I feel like this is about what it's going to feel like. Like, you'll have a case kind of like this on test day, at least one if not several of these where you're like mm, yeah i feel um i feel like i knew what that was i think <laughs> right? yeah. and you're like pretty sure and then you get nervous you're like i had four minutes left like what else was i supposed to do <laughs> right you know <laughs> yeah. there's there's a few things when you have extra time that are just like bonus points like if you counsel the patient or counsel the patient's family and be like hey you have really bad asthma you know 
have have you ever thought about that? You know, like that kind of thing. Like, I, don't, I don't know what you said. <laughs> have you, you ever, ever thought about how does, that? How does that make you feel? Um, <laughs> but that kind of stuff really can get you some some bonus points. Like the counseling of a patient can polish off a case. If you have a minute left, at, if you do a full resuscitation in a minute at the end to counsel the patient and the family, be like, I'm so, you know, that kind of thing, you're looking mm-hmm. really solid. Um, and you can get a really nice high score on that case. So let's go through our critical actions. Critical actions, uh, giving albuterol and hypertropium, you did that. Giving them steroids right away, you did that. Getting a chest x-ray, and you interpreted it correctly. That was a normal chest x-ray. Um, magnesium, you did that right away, and then you did move on to BiPAP. Um, so you passed the case. Congratulations, Yay. man. <laughs> Thanks, man. I was going to say, how's residency going? Anything, anything uh, new? Uh, no. Uh, being a senior is a lot more fun than being an intern. <laughs> I'll say that. Um, every shift, you kind of get to push yourself as hard as you're willing to. And I think that's kind of why I went into emergency medicine. Um, and I, I almost see it as a game. You know, how how many people can I see? How can I be better every shift? And it's, it's finally getting really fun. I'm finally, like, coming home, like, motivated to read about my sick cases and get better for the next shift. That's good, man. Yeah, I feel like as you go through training, as you go through training, you like I read more as an attending than I did in residency, and I read more in residency than I did as a med student because you just every you have so many more questions, right? And then you're just like, you know, you're not reading simple stuff anymore. You get more and more into it, but you just there's always something else that you want to like read about and learn. And it's a sign yeah. you're in the right specialty if you're going home and you're you're motivated to read about it. That means you're on the you picked well, my friend. Dude, I was thinking about this the other day. This, this is so nerdy, but it almost feels like life is kind of like an RPG right now. Like, I play the game, right? I go into work, see my patients, do my things, and I go home and I, like, level up. Like, oh, plus one on unstable AFib. Like, spend an hour reading about that. And then my next shift that I have that, I feel so much better about, you know, managing those patients. And... um I don't know. I, I think it's a great analogy. That's how it feels right now in second year. It's definitely not a bad analogy. And, you know, it's hard because there's things that you want to study that you don't necessarily have the time to. So then you have to start choosing on, you know, kind of what you're going to get good at. And and then the certain cases that based off your training program that you're seeing all the time that you're just like are second nature that I, probably I'm weak at. Right. Because I just don't see it as much. And then there's cases that I see all the time based off my specific community that I'm working in that, you know, so you start to realize like there's certain things like even when you get done with residency, there's things that you're much, much stronger at and things that you actually are. They don't make you nervous, but you you tend to reference guidebooks and stuff a little bit more. Be like, oh, what was the dosing on that? I haven't seen one of this in like a year type of a thing. So sure. sure. Great analogy. Great analogy. How are you doing? Uh, how am I doing? I'm doing pretty good. Um, attending, it's so fun as an attending because you, it's it's like taking the the pressure of being a resident and like those decisions and then maximizing it by like a thousand because there's, it's just how do I how do I say this? It's just a lot more responsibility, which makes it a lot more intense, which is good. So I feel like I'm reading a lot more because of the responsibility and realizing like, oh my God, like if I'm going to be the one that knows how to do this, 
Um, it's great. And you don't have to work quite as many shifts as, you know, residencies about the hardest you're going to be working and then you can scale back as intending, or you can keep working the same number of stuff if you want and make a bunch of money. But I kind of scaled back and, um, I'm working just like a normal, like a sane human amount now, right? <laughs> Not like med school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've been working for 30 hours straight. My face feels hot. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> I've like changed my weird. socks four times on this shift. <laughs> right. right. Like, Oh man, good old. I feel like the hardest I worked was probably there's a few specific rotations in residency that were really tough, but med school, I, that was really, t- I feel like med school is the hardest for me. If I had to go back and choose, cause the problem in med school is a lot of the rotations that are long and hard. Um, and you're thir- awake for 30 hours type of a thing is those are the, my least favorite topics too. Like, awake for 30 hours standing in the corner in the OR and I was just like oh like it was just so hard but now you know it's a a 10 minute shift and it just flies by it's just like a completely different feeling um and you do a lot of shifts and you get used to the sleep and stuff but I feel like meds I feel like if I had to rank them like med school was harder than residency I don't know what do you think so far I completely agree with you first and second yeah. year of meds well, so I I didn't think third year and fourth year were too bad um but first and second year of med school for me were just awful. Just being like cooped up in my room studying like 10, 12 hours a day. Like not even to like excel, but just to like do okay, you know, like pouring my heart and soul into these textbooks and like not seeing friends or family. I thought that was the hardest. Um, and then for me, third and fourth year was when this like I kind of learned to manage my time better and have much more of a life and then definitely in residency I, like it's fun I look forward to every shift I read because I want to read not because I have to read kind of thing and it's so yeah, much better that's the big difference is when you get to be in the specialty that you want to be in um you you read because you want to read it's not you're reading because you have to or because you're trying to get a good score. So that's, you know, it's not anything like that. You're actually reading because you want to read. And if you can get to that spot, I mean, you're you're set. So anyways, um, that wraps up this episode, everybody. Send us an email, Zach at emclerkship.com, Mike at emclerkship.com. We like hearing from you. You can also go to the website where there's going to be show notes on this episode. You can send us a message on there as well where it says contact us. But until next month. Keep working hard, keep studying, and be sure to enjoy your shift.